Welcome back to Single Minded, where we are flipping the script on being single. I am your host, Hannah First. And I'm your co-host, Linda, apparently with a monotone voice. Who knew? <laughs> you do have a monotone voice. You and Ruby both it's have. beyond monotone. Yeah, beyond. <laughs> Can I admit to a desperate, locked up, guilty pleasure? And I sure. don't want any judgment, but you know I like a bit of reality. I know TV, you do. And the Kardashians are now kaput. So I found myself a bit lost on what to watch that Rob doesn't want to watch when I'm all on my own. So I've come across, and I have mentioned it to you, The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and that has never interested me before. I haven't watched any kind of Real Housewives, but the current lockdown has caused me now to watch more than 100 episodes. So it's been a journey because I started on season four and five on Netflix, then I subscribed to Binge so I could watch season 10 and the new season 11, which drops every week. Then I had to subscribe to Apple so that I could watch season six and onwards. So there are 20 eps per season. Then there's a three-part reunion during which time the women yell at each other. And despite their flaws, so many of them are likable. Their personal struggles are similar to ours, Mm -hmm. just with the addition of hand-reared gay swans, an alopecia-prone dog, pet miniature horses, private planes, designer bags, and so much plastic fantastic. So my fave episode so far was called Pantygate. And this is where the women call their vulva slash vagina, depending on what you like to call it, all kinds of names, which you'll appreciate. Yes. Hoo-ha. Yes. Hoo-hoo. Uh-huh. Cucamonga. Vajayjay. Snatch, I don't like that word, and Pretty Little Puss. So there is endless hours of dumbness. I started watching it in bed before going to sleep on my phone and now I'm sneaking off. Now I'm sneaking off during the day and I'm watching it on my phone in bed. I have got completely addicted. Why don't you watch it on your um, TVs because you don't want Dad to know? No, I just sneak off and then while he's busy working, I'm completely addicted, transported to sunny LA and I actually actually feel like I'm friends with them all. It's really (laughs) sad. I've been dreaming about them. Love it. Just quickly, do you remember we were watching that thing with Kathy Hilton and she said Acker? There's a yes. fellow. I reckon, I did you get, did no, you get I ha- Acker? No, I've only started lately and I went, oh, my God, she's a woman after my own heart. She is very <laughs> funny, actually. I like her. Well, that's a bit sad. <laughs> it's very sad. That all sounds a little bit sad, but I went through the same thing with the blacklist where I did a puzzle. I did five or six hours of a puzzle every night in front of the blacklist because I love James Bader. So we all have our unique quirks that I'm, you know, I'm glad that you're sharing it with the group. Just on James Spader, something yes. came up about is he what was his first ever show and have you watched it? I wrote it down to tell you and I've lost it now. I mean, I'm watching Boston Legal. No, there's something that goes back. You know why? I think it came up on the Housewives because one ah. of the women is was a child actress. Let me just look up James Spader. Tough Turf, 1985. Have you ever watched it? No, Tough Turf. I'm writing it down. Write it down. He's done some pretty out there movies. He looks very spunky in it. Massive head of hair. 
Yeah. He is spunky. Now, one other update that I did want to do on here. Now, in a fortnight, I have got Emmy Pens returning. We're doing Make Dating Fun Again Part 2 because I have learned a lot in that time since we oh, first yeah. did. Oh, my God. And I've I learned to so give, much. I know. I wanted to give a little tip because dating apps at the moment are just uh, are you okay in lockdown? How's your lockdown? What are you doing this weekend in lockdown? Mm. It's really boring. So I wanted to show a little tip that I did and I did this today. So I got a message from this guy. Hey, how are you? Question mark. Surviving lockdown? Question mark. Mm. And I was like, either I don't respond and I leave it or I turn this conversation around. So this is what I said. So I'm trying something new on Hinge. No lockdown talk. How do you feel about this? Let's just ask random questions unrelated to our current predicament. <laughs> and? He he responded, love it. Go for gold, you first. So I think this gives, and, and to be honest with you, all of my conversations on Hinge now, I'm like no more lockdown talk. No. We talk about anything else. Like I'll tell you a question, this guy that I'm chatting to, Colin, at the moment, we're having really good deep, interesting chats about lots of different things. Colin, first of all, Colin's a great name, hey? Isn't it? Yes. Anyway, (laughs) he asked me some really interesting questions. Like we did not talk about anything else except these interesting questions. And so he said, all right, now it's your turn. And so I was like, oh, this is fun. What am I going to write? So this was my question, mum. Tell me what you think of this. (laughs) You wake up tomorrow and money doesn't exist. It's just like not a thing anymore. What do you do? Oh. That was my question. But you're making them work for their money. (laughs) I've never even met this guy and he has to work really hard. But basically he said, I'm going to resist the urge to get analytical. And to me, I was like, oh, I love that. I love that he's not going to get like, how does this life work without money? But he was just went straight into life fantasy. So to me, there's already an alignment there. But I asked another guy, he was kind of similar vibes, like open to other chatting. I said, I can start. I'll ask you something rogue. Let me think. And he goes, let's go. And so I then asked him the question, like, you wake up tomorrow, and I asked a different question, but on the same path, like, would you go into fantasy of how life could be, or do you, like, get really practical? Anyway, he went full practical. He's like me, B&W. Yeah, he was very black and white about it. And I said, you definitely went with pragmatic as opposed to the fantasy. But there's all kinds of people, so he would suit me, but not you. I know. Yeah, so I live in fantasy land, so oh. I don't I, – it's just an interesting – anyway, it's it's been really fun. It's like spicing it's up my dating it's, lockdown. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a good pastime. Yeah, so anyway, mm. let's get into the episode and we will be back for the outro. I'm very excited to um, welcome Rav Randawa to the podcast. This has kind of come about by serendipity because I had someone drop out of an episode and Rav actually sent me her podcast and I listened to it and I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what we need to do on Single Minded. So welcome to Single Minded. Thank you. Glad to be here. Very excited to have you. I listened to the episode you sent me and I think let's just get straight into it. You spoke on that episode about your family putting pressure on you to settle down and sort of follow that traditional path of, you know, get married, have kids. Tell me about your upbringing 
upbringing and how that pressure kind of manifested for you? Okay, so I grew up in a small town in North Queensland and I come from a traditional Indian family. My parents immigrated here in 91 and it was as if when they left India, they kind of stayed in that same sort of mindset of when they left. And the town that they migrated to, they kind of went there because they were in agriculture and it was a big farming town, but it also came with a really small community. And in that community, there was a lot of other Indians. So they kind of got quite hung up on the whole, what other people are thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, what are people doing? Don't do this, don't do that. So in terms of my upbringing, I would say it was very traditional, even though it wasn't that long ago. It was, you know, 91 isn't that long ago. And I found that every time we would go back to India on family trips or whatever, it was very much like everybody there was moving on and progressing with the times, but my family wasn't or the community that I was in wasn't. And there was so many rules around things like, you know, as a girl, you can't wear this, you can't wear that. I get comments from my friends all the time now. They'll be like, oh, my God, your boobs are amazing. Why don't you have your boobs out? And it's like Mm. I just don't because I've always dressed quite conservatively because of my upbringing and the way that my family has been. And I think in terms of just the things that we would wear and the things that we would do, it was very much like don't do this because you're an Indian girl and it looks bad. No one's going to want to marry you. And every, every time you wanted to do something, if it was like wearing something or wanting to do something to your hair or even putting on makeup, it was like you can do it after you get married. So there's this really big stigma around or just concept of like freedom after you get married. And so did you sort of grow up with the idea? I mean, I, I did too. I said to someone the other day, like I 100%, if you had asked me 10 years ago, I would 100% have thought I'd be married to this type of guy with this type of job and we'd be married with kids and we'd own a house in this suburb. Like I 100% had -hmm. that idea for myself from like a really young age. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you also had? Absolutely. I I thought I would have kids by the time I was 25. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy now to think of that. (laughs) Isn't it wild? It's wild for me to think that I had those ideas for myself and how different, like, I'm so glad. Oh, yeah. But it's so different. So what age did you kind of think, oh, I need to be married by this age? I think it was in high school because I went to an all-girls school. So, there weren't too many distractions in the form of boys, but I had a lot of friends who were starting to do things like date or, you know, the, the I don't know, what do they call it? Like the boys' school version of your school, like oh, the yeah. brother's school yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That, school, yeah. Yeah, that. Like, you know, they were starting to mingle with a few guys from there and I remember anytime somebody was going to be having a party or whatever, I just never was allowed to go because of mm-hmm. how it would look if anybody found out that I was going to these parties and drinking and so forth. So to me, it really started to feel like I wanted that in my life because it was like that was the only key to me being able to do anything I really wanted. So yeah, I started to feel like I wanted to do more things or have more freedoms probably around the age of 16. It's insane to me to think that mm. I was thinking about marriage and stuff at the age of 16, but that was when I started to get interested in boys. 
Mm. And dating just wasn't an option. So it was like, well, I'm going to have to try and find a husband somehow through my parents because we still do practice like arranged marriages and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you actually got married quite young. Mm-hmm. Tell me what happened. How did you meet? So we met on Tinder. I actually moved to Sydney in 2014 for work and mm-hmm. was single when I moved here had no idea about Tinder. I think my housemate at the time was, she was very active on there and she was the one who introduced me to it. So I got in there, started swiping, got addicted to the swiping (laughs) as we do. And yeah, I just kind of stumbled across this guy's profile. He didn't seem like your traditional Indian guys that I was used to. And I didn't even think he was Indian when I met him. And at that point, I think I was 24. So I was already in my mind thinking, oh, my God, I'm getting old. Okay. I'm meant to have a kid next year. (laughs) Yeah. Were you hearing that from your parents as well? Yeah, all the time. Like they were trying to set me up with people left, right and centre and I was like, no, can't do that. Okay. And you moved away. So do you think that space helped a little bit? Yes and no. It helped because like it kind of took away that pressure that I was putting on myself to some degree because – I wasn't living at home and feeling like I was restricted in any way Mm -hmm. because I had the freedom to live on my own and do what I wanted and didn't have my parents sort of dictating what I could do or not do. And that might sound weird to some people, but in our culture, it's, it's quite common that you wouldn't move out of home until you got married. Like that's how far the freedom aspect Mm. goes. So it was already quite out of the norm for them to be okay with me moving to a whole different state. And but when I kind of started living on my own, it took away that whole almost like, you know, romanticizing or putting this relationship that I thought I needed on a pedestal because it was like I had all these other things that I could do. So I guess I just started Mm. living a fuller life in a way. Okay. So I would say it took pressure off myself in that way. But yeah, my, my parents, every time they were calling me or talking to me, it was always like, oh, like we have so and so. Did you want to talk to this guy? And it's like, No. (laughs) I feel like I am seeing some similarities with my parents. (laughs) Um, Like, have you met someone yet? Like, who are you dating? And like getting very excited about dating someone. At least you can date. Like, I would be okay Mm. with that if if dating was treated the same way for us as Western culture almost. Whereas, like, even when I was dating my now ex, Every time he and I went back to Queensland, we had to sleep in separate rooms. And I was like at at the time, 25, 26, even 20. I didn't get married until I was 28. Yeah. Leading up to that, every single time we went home together, it was like separate rooms. And I don't think I ever kissed or hugged or anything in front of my parents once. Yeah. Okay. And so you met him at what age on Tinder? I was 24. Okay. Yeah. And so what was that courtship like? I would say it was kind of caught me off guard a little bit because I had only sort of dated through uni prior to that. And I think the kind of guys that you sort of meet when you're at uni are a little bit different because they're at a different stage of life, maybe don't have as much financial freedom. So I was very swept off my feet during that whole process because it was something that I wasn't quite used to. And yeah, there was a lot of sort of going out for drinks and dinners and I felt like he was going above and beyond in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And tell me about you got married. Tell me about that. So I had a 
traditional Indian wedding, which mm-hmm. went for like a bloody week. <laughs> it was the longest thing ever. And have you ever been to one? Yeah, yeah, I've been to um, I, not to a ceremony, but to one of the receptions. Yeah, when I was in um, Jaipur, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah. So the ceremony itself in my religion, like, isn't really that long. It's only like mm-hmm. an hour or so, but it's all the events leading up to that, and it's just so exhausting. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I had a traditional Indian wedding, and were your parents happy? Like, they really wanted you to be with someone from the same culture. Yeah, that was a big thing. Yeah. But the the crazy thing is he was the only person I'd ever dated who was actually Indian. So prior to that, I had never been with anyone who was Indian. So they were just like, oh, my God, like it's all happening. The stars are aligning. This is it. And I also, when I met him, just the way that we met and how quickly we hit it off, I almost like thought I'd stumbled across a bit of a unicorn as well. So Mm, yeah it sounds like it was a total whirlwind yeah it was it I I feel like it got it it moved really quickly in the sense that we got engaged like a year and a half I think after dating Mm -hmm. and because we both had the same sort of cultural background I think it sort of almost took away that element of surprise of a relationship of when things are going to be happening And it was like we were both kind of moving towards this end goal from the get-go, which was getting married. Mm. So as much as I think back on the relationship and think that it was really good, I feel like I would have a much more fulfilling relationship now because I don't think about those things. Yeah, no. Like for me now, I don't think about what's at the end. It's about like the journey Mm. to wherever it ends up. It's funny how that shifts. And also, like, I I know that you sort of went down the whole egg freezing path recently as well. I think when you take that off the table too, that really shifts things and your expectations of things as well. Yeah. I can tell you as soon as that happened, dating has like already completely changed. Mm. It's like there's no pressure. Like I can meet someone and have a fun five dates or whatever. That's okay. Mm -hmm. You're not fantasizing about anything because like you're like, well, it doesn't matter. Like I've got this resource for the future. Exactly. So you got married and you spoke a little bit about on that podcast episode about how things changed in the marriage. And I guess you saw a side of your husband, your ex-husband now that didn't come across before you were married. Yeah. So it, it did start coming out, I would say, like a few months before we got married. Yeah. There was this kind of side to him that was just I don't know what the word is, but, you know, I guess you could say narcissistic in a way, but also in terms of the way that that was coming across to me was in the form of like body shaming and stuff. Mm. Yeah, because, I mean, I'll be the first to put my hand up and say I didn't look exactly the same as what I did when he and I first met, but neither did he. And I just kind of Mm -hmm. assumed that it was part of just A, life, and B, that, you know, we were a little more comfortable with each other. and. Yeah, he was very kind of relentless about it in small ways to begin with. Like we went on a trip away to Queenstown and he was kind of making little comments about my weight when I was struggling to snowboard because I'd just never done any snow sport in my life growing Mm. up in Queensland. And he found a way to sort of make that about my weight to then it manifesting into when we'd be going out to dinners and stuff and him commenting on the things that I was ordering And it kind of just snowballed from there. And I did become very aware of it pretty quickly. But I think at that point, 
you know, the wedding had been planned. My parents mm. had paid so much money for stuff and yeah. I just. That pressure. Yeah, I just couldn't bring myself to do anything about it. Mm. Did you know, like in your heart, like I've actually been on dates with guy, a guy once and he said, I knew, but I just couldn't not do it. Like I knew in my heart that I couldn't, I didn't want to do it, but I did it anyway. Is that sort of how you felt? Like what's going through your head when that happens? Yeah, that's that's exactly how I felt. And I think if you would have asked me this question a year ago, I wouldn't have been able to admit that, but I've just done a lot of reflecting and, you know, just coming to terms with what's happened. And Mm. I think it was always in the back of my mind because it's such a weird thing to say, but it was like I was always just waiting for it to end, the relationship. Mm. It was kind of like I just knew that there was an expiry date on it and not because one of us was going to (laughs) die. It was because somebody was going to leave. And it's such a weird thing to now conceptualized because it's like, why did I put myself through that? But Mm. I just think at that point in time, like even the thought of it, especially that very first time I had that thought, I remember just the the very first thing that came into my mind was I can't, like my parents would be mortified. Mm. Again, that whole upbringing and how the community thinks of you started to trickle back in again. And I was like, what's everyone going to say about them? No one's ever going to want to marry me. That was like the other thought that Mm. I had that, you know, that's it. I'm like damaged goods now. So it was, it was a lot of that, but it's crazy because now I'm like, I'm living my best life. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it's funny because when you're like, I've had situations where I've looked back on someone that I dated and I've had a similar experience where there is some really like subtle, probably more subtle than what you're talking about, but subtle things that erode your self-esteem and you don't even know it's happening and it's really damaging. Yeah. Do you feel like he was going about it in a way that it was like it was to damage your self-esteem or somehow get in your head about it? I think so because I feel like it really sort of escalated when I started to do really well in my career as well. And I think Mm -hmm. he almost, I mean, I I don't know what was going on in his head. I'm sort of just trying to connect the dots myself here. But to me, the way that it translated was it was almost like he was trying to find ways to bring me down. And in addition to that, I think he just, you know, I don't know if there's just some people out there who just don't understand that you can't make comments like that about people without it seriously damaging them, like you said, because Mm. he would always sort of make comments to me about people in his family. And it was funny. It was always women. That was one thing I realized afterwards. He would always make comments about his aunties or something and say that, you know, the reason why they need hip replacements or knee replacements and this and that is because they're just really, really overweight and would always sort of bring that sort of stuff back to me and say, oh, the reason why I'm, like, saying these things about you is because I just don't want you to, like, have to get, like, a knee replacement. Look at so-and-so, my auntie, she had to go through this. So I really just don't know if he realised, but I would hope that he did have the EQ to realise that it that's, that is damaging. Yeah, when I heard it on your podcast, I was like, oh, God, like I, I just can imagine the feeling of it happening and happening then it starts small and soon it just becomes like kind of normal and then you mm-hmm. become used to it and then it's like eroding your self-esteem day after day. I actually can't quite imagine how that kind of at the end it would feel. Mm. Now, you said in the episode you got ghosted, quote, unquote, by your husband. Let's hear the rest of this story. 
So I guess it was probably more of a soft ghost than a than a hard ghost that some of us are used to these days. Yeah. But basically what he did was I had gone back to Queensland for my sister-in-law's birthday and it was quite soon after a trip that he and I had done together. So he didn't go with me on that trip. So I just went on my own. And leading up to that trip, we had had a few conversations where he kind of expressed that he wasn't happy, but leaving had never sort of come up. Either of us didn't talk about leaving at that point. But he had obviously really thought it through without having that conversation with me because the day before I was due to fly back to Sydney, he called me and was just basically like, I'm leaving. And I was like, oh, where are you going? Because he and I both travelled a lot for work. So I immediately just thought he must be going on a work trip. And I was like, oh, where are you, where are you going? Like, when are you going to be back? And he's like, no, like, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. And I don't really remember what happened after that point. I feel like the shock just kind of took over at that point. Mm. And I just remember hysterically crying, like having like a bit of a meltdown. And my mum had heard me obviously start crying and she ran into the room, grabbed the phone off me. I don't know what she said to him, but I was just kind of like inconsolable at that point. And yeah, like I I ended up coming home to Sydney and he'd moved out of the apartment. Everything was gone. We had a walk-in robe with half of his stuff on one side, empty. His brother was living with us. He'd vacated as well. It was just the most bizarre feeling coming home to a house that you sort of left in a different way and almost as if somebody mm. had come in and stolen everything is, is probably the closest yeah. thing I can relate it to. And we had a dog together. I never saw my dog again. Oh. Yeah, it was. Oh, my God. It was, and then did you also, um, I think you said, like, did he, he didn't block you. No, he did straight away. So oh, he did. Sorry, he did ghost you. So he blocked you as well and just moved out on everything. Yeah. So oh, basically, God. the minute I got my it's phone, not funny. I'm sorry, but it's, no, like it's, it's funny now. Really- it's funny now. Yeah. But yeah, basically, as soon as I got my phone back that night that he called me to be like, I'm leaving. Yeah. I immediately, you know, I guess it's because we live on our phones. My first instinct was to go check social media. And I've tried to pull up his Instagram and it was like the classic whatever that thing is that pops up at the top. Doesn't exist. Yeah, Yeah, that thing. This account doesn't exist. Yeah, couldn't find him on Facebook. He'd blocked me. And then I logged into our internet banking account and he just like shoveled a bunch of money out of our account. And that was it. (sighs) Okay. So, yeah, I, I remember saying in the podcast that to me it felt like he had a checklist of everything he needed to do and calling me was the last thing on that list. Yeah, so he did it all, made sure it was done before actually. And had you guys talked about breaking up beforehand? No, like not to that capacity. The only thing that we had spoken about was a few weeks prior, maybe a month prior at the most, I had said to him that I wanted to get a binding financial agreement because we didn't have a prenup when we got married, but I was starting to feel like something was going to happen. Like like I said, you know, I kind of mm. knew that it had just had this feeling that something was going to happen. And just his behaviour and, you know, there was a few lies and other things that I'd caught him out on at that point and the way that he was treating me in terms of the body shaming and stuff, the security that I felt in that relationship was just diminishing so quick. Mm. And at that point I was thinking about protecting myself. And also at that point I really wanted to have a kid. 
you know, we had sort of decided that or had a conversation early on that after I turned 30, if it happened, it happened. And yeah, this was like, you know, my year of being 30. So I was freaking out thinking, oh my God, I had this plan in my mind of having a kid right now. And I don't even know if this relationship is going to go ahead. I need to financially be secure. So if I need to have a kid on my own, I can do it. So yeah, for me, that was finding financial agreement. So I brought it up with him and his sort of immediate reaction to that was, oh my God, are you going to leave me? He actually said those words. Mm. And I said, yeah, no, but I don't have any faith in you not doing that. Mm. And I said those words to him, but there was no other conversation beyond that. Had there been fighting up until this point? Yeah, there was There was a, a lot okay. of fighting and, and a lot of it was to do with his mum. His mum sort of interfered a lot in our relationship. Okay. Yeah. And I think at the start of it, when it first started to sort of play out like that, I kind of leaned on him a lot to almost be like a bit of a bridge between her and I. And I don't know when this happened, but there was just a shift at some point where he just started to side with her and I was always the outsider at every sort of family Mm. event. So that's, that doesn't help yeah. either. You know, that just adds additional pressure on a relationship. Mm. I guess in every relationship there's, you know, ups and downs, but people might be quite aligned on values. It sounds like you guys maybe from the beginning weren't really the right fit. Yeah. Do you think that if you hadn't have had that pressure when you were young and it was kind of like do whatever you want and there was no pressure to settle down at a certain by a certain age. Do you think you would have chosen him? No, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I already knew where you were going with that question and I was already okay. like, no, <laughs> there's no way. Well, I, I think it's really interesting because when you put it as simply as that, because we change so much and we grow so much, it kind of doesn't make sense that it's like, I'm in my 20s, I'm becoming the person I want to become. Okay, now I'm just going to marry like the next best thing yeah. For now. And you know what the crazy thing about that is in in our culture it's so common for people to be married 25 and under and then later on you see those couples, you know, 10 15 years down the track and you just sit there scratching your head thinking how the hell are you guys still together because they have mm-hmm. just grown so much as different mm-hmm. people from that age because they got they get together at such young ages. I think I could count on one hand how many couples I know who've had that sort of, you know, real life Tinder set up type marriage in our community that are still together and look like they actually want to be together. There's plenty of them walking yeah. around that are still together because divorce is taboo. So they just don't split mm-hmm. up. But yeah, yeah, it's just crazy to me that at such a young age, I settled so quickly because mm. I don't feel like that anymore. Yeah. I know the feeling. I think we must be in the same mind frame where it's like, what? Like, why did I think that? Yeah. Did, how did your parents take the divorce? Surprisingly, so well. That's one thing okay. I have to really say. I was so impressed with my family, like not just my parents, everybody. Yeah. I think just when they realized how poorly he was treating me, it was like enough was enough. And they were like, we're not going to sort of sacrifice me just for reputation's sake, if you want to put it that way. And Mm -hmm. that just brought us together as a family so much. And Mm. yeah, you know, like at one point I did say to my dad that I was really 
sorry. I, I just remember saying, so, like, I'm sorry that mm. you guys paid so much money for this wedding and this happened. And he was like, I don't give a shit about the money, you know, like what's more important to me is you and you being happy. And if mm. you're living with like a monster like this, I'm, I'm not going to do that just because I spent, you know, a bit of money on a wedding. And mm. just hearing that because I, even though I, I felt like I was saying sorry for the wedding because they paid money for it, in a way I knew that deep down it was also because I just couldn't put myself in their shoes because I haven't grown up in the same generation that they have and the cultural mm. pressures that they harbour and carry on with them even today. I can't relate to that. So it was almost like I mm. was apologising for how they might be feeling as well. And, yeah, yeah. they kind of just really helped me let go of that guilt so I could just really deal with what was going on. Mm. Like I can't even put into words how much my dad has been there for me, which is crazy because, oh, now I'm going to cry. <laughs> like growing up, we've just never had that relationship and it's crazy that that was what sort of brought us together Shit, because it's like you shouldn't have to go through something so shitty for that to happen. But, yeah, like I just I never had seen that side to my dad. Like I always kind of felt like I always had to just be this person like, because I was the eldest and I was a girl and I just felt like all this pressure all the time to like be and act a certain way. And that was the first time that I kind of just felt like he accepted me for me. Like, this is just how I am. And, and he was like, that's okay. I know you tried, you know what I mean? Mm. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. What did you kind of do after the marriage? Cause you said you've kind of changed a lot. Was there like a lot of healing, personal development? What sort of things did you do when that ended to kind of get to the place that you are in now? Yeah, so I think the first thing that I changed was just being more active. I finally felt like that pressure of doing it for somebody else had been lifted and I kind of found this whole other side to myself that I didn't even know was there because I always assumed I was one of those people that hated working out and, yeah, now I love it you know, I really enjoy boxing. That helped me a lot because you obviously can get a lot of frustration mm. out uh, when you're boxing. So I remember a lot yeah. of times every time I'd get angry, I'd just go and do that. And then I did sort of lean into therapy a lot as well. So when I saw my GP, got put on a mental health plan and, you know, saw a few different people until I found the right person. Mm. And then her and I kind of had a a pretty sort of regular relationship, I would say, for about a year after that. And between that and just leaning on my friends a lot, I think I kept myself really, really busy. And I know that there's this whole, you know, idea or notion around not making contact with somebody that you've broken up with and how that really helps. So as much as we sit here and we joke about how he ghosted me and all this shit, it, mm. you know, well, oh, sorry, can I say yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost like him doing that helped me get over it so much quicker because mm, yeah, the only time I saw him after that was when I had to sign my divorce papers and I was so nervous about seeing him and I felt absolutely nothing when I saw him. Mm. And that was what really sort of put that final nail in the coffin for me that that was it. I had definitely moved on from it. And that was probably about 14 months after we broke up. So a year and a bit. Yeah. 
And so do you take a break from dating? Have you been dating since then? What's it like as a being divorced in your 30s? Because you're in your, how old are you? You're a couple of years younger than me, I think. I'm 32. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Me too. Oh, so we're the same age. Okay. Yeah. Look, it, it's, it's really fun. I, I'm just having a lot of fun at the moment. I mean, despite being in lockdown when we could date. At first, I didn't get into it straight away. The first thing that I did when I felt ready to sort of mingle again was I actually just hooked up with two guys I'd hooked up with before because I was like, this isn't scary. So this will be easy enough. And then after that, I got back on the apps and just stayed away from Tinder. I was like, I'm not going down that path. I've already tried it. (laughs) (laughs) And... Got yeah. into Hinge and Bumble, met a few people. Hinge, love it. Yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, I. Uh, I'm having, I I hated it. Everyone on this podcast knows I hated dating apps, but I'm loving them at the moment. Even in lockdown? Yeah, I'm having the best conversations that I've had on dating apps. I don't know why. Oh, well, I do know why. Why? Yeah. It's been really oh fun. God. Well, you're going to have to give us some tips because I honestly feel like it's like drawing blood from a stone. So now what I do, like my biggest tip, there's a couple of things. The first one is that I have a very specific guy that I'm looking for now. Basically, I used to date red flags. Now I'm like, I've got a certain type of guy that is, I guess, emotionally, like a lot of them are in therapy, which is weird. How do you know this though? Because <laughs> they end up telling, like we talk about it on like the first date or something. No, not all of them are in therapy, but they're working on themselves. They seem emotionally available. There's like a few things that I look for. But then the other thing that I do now is I just chat like I chat to friends. Literally, Mm. if I want to send ha-ha in all capitals, I just do it. Mm. So I don't stress out that I'm sounding crazy because I do text a bit crazy. I'm like, fuck it, I'll just do it. That seems to be aligning me with people that I can kind of have good combos with because we're kind of similar. Does that make sense? so good. Yeah, that, that actually does make a whole lot of sense. But I think also, do you feel like you're at the mentally at the point where you're ready to meet someone? Because I think that plays a big part in it as well. A hundred percent. It's not that I want to meet. I don't call it. So I I don't like putting the pressure on myself that I want to meet someone. I'm ready for like a real connection. That's what I say to myself. Yeah. And it's okay if that real connection's not forever. Like I'm okay with that. I just, that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for surface level chats anymore. I want someone that I can go deep with. Yeah. Yeah. And you are so right. That makes all the difference. 100%. Because I don't think I'm there. That's probably why I'm having shitty connections. So (laughs) (laughs) I'll be the first to put my hand up and say that. You've got to go through that process, I think, though. Like it comes and it goes. Yeah. And I feel like I'm going through the motions of everything I didn't get to experience with the person Mm. I ended up marrying because I'm now going through things of, you know, like seeing the red flags, actually acknowledging that they're there, stepping away from someone because of that, or, you know, having really fucking awesome sex with someone and being digmatized for a bit. I don't even remember that (laughs) happening last time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love that. It's the fun part. But it's also helping me understand what I want in this end person. Like I do want somebody who's going to be exciting when it comes to having conversations. Some of those guys that I've been dating bring that element and then there's no sexual spark there. Then there's some guys where I'm like, you're literally a walking red flag, but you're you're great (laughs) in bed. I want to have sex with you. (laughs) I'm like you, like I like sexual chemistry and spark. 
but also mm. like good chats and connection. And to find that in one person, that's the challenge. So hard. Yeah. But you're right. Every date gets you closer to it. Mm -hmm. And that's how I think about it now. So I think before I always was trying to fill this void of the person that had sort of left my life and Mm -hmm. like really looking for a relationship again. Mm -hmm. And I used to find it harder to get over something maybe not working out with somebody Mm -hmm. that you're dating. Whereas now I find that that initial disappointment of something not working out is still there. But I find it a lot easier to move on now because I acknowledge that it is just getting me closer to that person that I am meant to be with. So interesting. Oh, this is like a game changer for me. My therapist said to me, he was like, you know, you've grown up when you like go on a date or you're dating someone and you you actually like your heart's on the line. Mm. But because you feel okay in yourself, you're like, it does not matter if this doesn't work out because I'll be okay. That's the goals. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. And it's really hard to do. It's, Mm. it's, you know, I have to talk myself into it. Like the way that I deal with it now, and this is probably kind of quickly touching back on the subject of, you know, how did I get through this? I relied a Mm. lot on podcasts and stuff as well. That's how I got into this world of podcasts too. And every time I find myself now in situations where, you know, if I'm emotionally invested in someone and I can see it's not going to end well, when I'm trying to get myself out of that dark hole, I give myself almost like a day of just pumping my like head full of Mm. positive affirmations, podcasts that are like, you know, empowering and helping you realize your self-worth, that sort of thing. Mm. Because it just helps me flip it back again because I get stuck in this notion of I'm not good enough and I think that Mm. comes back to the stuff that I was getting told by my ex all the time. But I'm noticing now that, you know, as I do date and get out of situations with people that it's not working out with, that time that it's taking me to move on from it is getting shorter and shorter. That's one thing I have definitely picked up on. Mm. And on that note, talking about podcasts. Tell me about the podcast. You've started one. Tell us about it. Yeah. So I started a podcast with my friend Ella. It's called Fight Like a Girl. The reason why we named it that was because her and I actually met at this boxing gym that I was talking about to help me get through things. And yeah, we kind of just connected. It was in the works for probably about, I would say, six months. And then lockdown happened through a spanner in the works. But yeah, we finally got our shit together and we and we did it. And we both kind of really connect on a level of her and I have, have really sort of had to go through some struggles to get to where we are, whether that be on a personal level or like a professional level. So we both have that in common. And I think we sort of really hold that at our core in terms of our values. So that's the sort of spin that we have on the podcast as well, just making sure that we bring that raw, honest approach to everything that we talk Mm. about, which is everything from dating, sex, relationships. So, yeah. And um, you definitely have the voice for podcasting. That was the first thing I said to you because you, when I listened to the episode, you got a great voice. Oh, thanks. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me and for being so honest. It was great to hear your story and it's just so nice to hear that you've come through it and you're back out there and having fun and learning lots about yourself. I love it. Thank you for having me. It's been great. And I feel like I'm fangirling over here. (laughs) (laughs) So 
Linda, what did you think? Well, interestingly, you said that from a young age, you thought you'd be married with kids and living in a house in the suburbs. So I was thinking about that. Like all good parents, we had every single Disney VHS in our library. And I wondered, do you think Disney set you up to wait for a prince on a white horse? Yes, 100%. Kind, handsome, perfect, and he solves all your problems. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think Disney, I grew up in an era where... Yeah, where Disney movies weren't probably as progressive as they are now, for Mm, sure. Exactly, yes. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting listening to her life at home because I sort of feel I had the same upbringing, Mm -hmm. not with the matchmaking but no freedom. Mm. Curfews ruled my life. I was constantly Mm. grounded. Do you know what that means now? Mm, I I do know what that means, yes. Yes. So just like a lockdown, you're restricted to your home for two weeks was my punishment. Anyway, that's for another podcast. Anyway, because of my (laughs) upbringing, I had no curfews for you girls, except one rule was no going out during the week, even in your last year of school when really you were old enough to make your own decisions. And do you remember that school night, you said you were going to a friend's house for her birthday dinner. So we let Mm -hmm. you go. I was a little bit suspicious and I went into your room. One of your sisters followed me in and she said, ooh, her high heels are missing. So we rang you straight away and you admitted you were actually at a nightclub. So good on you for telling the truth. And Dad said to you. Wow, I can't believe I told the truth. You said where you were. Dad said, okay, that's fine. Be outside in 15 minutes and I'll be there to pick you up. Do you remember that? I do not remember that. You don't? No, nah, I don't remember. You were on the all. corner waiting and he picked you up. And oh. honestly, we never had any more trouble weeknights. Oh, my God. Weeknights. <laughs> well, okay. So to be fair, I was like, I was allowed. Uh, my year 12, I do look back on that and feel that you gave me a lot of mixed messages <laughs> in terms of what I can God. and can't do. So basically, it was like, you have to work super hard. You have to get a really high enter score. You have to get into this. Like, you didn't have to, but that was the assumption from mum and dad that I would from do. From you, what you felt. I felt that from mum and dad. Yeah. But then on the flip side, I was allowed to go clubbing. Friday, Saturday night, and I did. And I would go to like for anyone from Melbourne listening that is around my age. I was at One Love mm-hmm. every single Saturday night, dancing on the podium, kissing boys. We just loved to dance. I could dance for 10 hours straight. I just loved to dance. And I loved flirting with boys as well. Yeah, the only rule was a weeknight. That really was the only. Yeah, yeah. okay. But weekends were okay. But of my own volition, I was very serious about school. So I had 18th birthday parties all year. I went out clubbing a lot. I had a lot of fun. But I do remember I made a commitment to myself that in September I would stop going to anything and I didn't go to anything Mm, else. mm. Literally, anyone that knows me in my sleep, this is how I know that I'm a night owl. So I would wake up at 2 p.m., I'd have a shower and I would have coffee and an (laughs) orange in the shower and I had all my French Stuck on the outside of the glass. I would That's sit right. down That's in the shower, right. eat my orange, drink my coffee, and I would read those French, mm. like it, I was practicing conversational French for the exam. So that was my 2 p.m. And then I would work through until 5 in the morning. Do you remember? And all I ate was Migoreng <laughs> and Easy Mac. And, Mum, you should not have condoned this behaviour. That was very <laughs> try, that was like bad. Try telling Hannah first what to do at <laughs> 17 
And, of course, <laughs> mac and cheese. I always blame the mac and cheese for your appendicitis, but that's another story. As soon <laughs> as you t- – because I, I did do well and I worked my guts out to do well. Like it didn't just come to me naturally. And a few weeks after my last exam, my appendix almost mm. burst when I was in hospital. Yeah. Mac and cheese will do it to you. Yeah, it was the, I, I'm not joking. I had six Meagle rings and six Easy Macs every day. Like <laughs> disgraceful. Brain power. Disgraceful. Now, just in relation to parents sticking their nose into your dating business, you said you related yes. to that. Who are you dating? Have you met anyone? Have you noticed I've actually stopped doing this? So yes. I have this urge, if you go on a walking date, I want to ring you and say, <laughs> were you aligned? Then I need to, I really want to check if he's contacted you again. Sometimes I feel like following you on your walking dates, but (laughs) I have zipped it. Have you noticed? Yeah, you you really have. It's not that I don't care. You do stick your nose in it. Okay, so... So a while ago, I went on a few dates with this guy and we had, you know, a connection, but he did reveal that he long-term wasn't looking for monogamy. Mm, He was looking for, he was more looking for like ethical non-monogamy. And um, look, I've been coming up against ethical non-monogamy a lot on dating apps. Yes. Like guys wanting to explore non-monogamy, fine. That's, I am very accepting of all. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get judgy, mum. No, in my day, that's called cheating, but carry on. Ethical cheating. So I personally don't have the brain space to have more than one connection at one time. So I'm looking for one connection at a time. And so, mum, you are on board with that, but you're a bit more like I would say uh, opinionated in the realm of monogamy, I would say, with me. (laughs) That's right. I am. And I'm not apologising for that, Hannah. Okay. (laughs) So something that I do want to say to you that I don't think I've ever said to you and dad before, so I'm just going to say it publicly now, is I genuinely believe that parents can change. Yes. And I feel that you were, when we were younger, you were probably caught up in, okay, to be a good parent, my kids need to do tick these boxes. Like I have to do my job and I have to get them through uni and, yes. and careers and getting married and, and all that stuff. And so you had like a bit of a checkbox, I think, in your head about like how can I support my kids? And look, to be honest with you, it comes across as pressure, as a lot of pressure. <laughs> don't know what to say to that. Uh, yeah. This is just my, yeah. So there was a lot of, I felt there was pressure at school particularly. Well, there was. But I wonder if parents choose to pay for secondary education. There is pressure. But, but anyway, I do feel that what's interesting is that the more that I've been honest, and this is for like if you're in your 20s or 30s and you haven't had this honest conversation with your parents yet, is like, you, you kind of have to open up to your parents to say, hey, this is who I am. Mm, this is what agree. makes me happy. We need to like start normalizing it with your parents. And it's almost like you're socializing the ideas with them because I have found in the last couple of years, I've socialized some ideas with them about life and about how I want to live and, and like freezing my eggs. When I first told them, they were like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> Just meet someone. And so. No, well, we've learned from you. Yeah, and I feel mum and dad now are like very supportive and very accepting of all my life choices. And like I legitimately say, oh, my God, when I'm living in Thailand, no one flinches now. No one's like, yeah, yeah, sure, when you're living in Thailand. No, that's right. We're used to it. 
Yeah. So my big advice to people that are having trouble with parental pressure is you just got to be honest and communicate and let them get to know you and get to know more about your values. Because mum and I have opposite values pretty much. Yes. So, well, aside from family, but, you know, we, we have pretty different values and different life you know, you and I were chatting the other day and I was like, I love like deep, you know, I like getting deep and I like mm. having emotional and intellectual chats with guys. And you were like, nah, no interest. <laughs> like we have, you have no interest in going deep. I can already tell this conversation is making you feel uncomfortable, isn't it? I'm starting, it? I'm starting to sweat. But to anyway, sweat. if you bombard someone with, with the idea, in the end, they learn to accept it and come around totally and I think mum and dad I've done an amazing job at being so accepting of me you've done an amazing job how would you call it not what I've like the word I we've parented you but you have taught us something I've managed guys I've managed us managed us managed our expectations yes totally (laughs) so I really recommend that for everyone and look if your parents aren't open to that well you know, I don't know what to say to that, but give it a go. Give it a go. It doesn't happen overnight though. There's frustration involved as well. I mean, I even said the other night to you, I I stopped them and I'm like, stop discounting what I'm saying. I know. We're really learning. And then and then what about when <laughs> yes. you leave and you say, Don't talk about me when I've gone? We literally are too scared. We just turn, we press the play button. <laughs> You've interrupted us, so we pause. We yeah. just press. We never speak another word of yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I've I've gotten really. I like. I manage up really well. I think now. You so. managing us superbly. I'm worried you've bugged the apartment. <laughs> Terrified of you. Because mum and dad always talk about me, and I now you think I make we a do. very conscious effort, and I say I'm leaving now. Don't talk no, no, about me. No, we're not. Yep. We're not. We've learned. Good. Yep. Great. Oh, God. Well, on that note, thanks so much, everyone. We'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. If you made it this far, I'm hoping that you enjoyed the podcast. If you could subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review, that would be much appreciated. It really helps other people find the podcast. Not that I'm desperate or anything. See you next week.